such a blessing to have mighty women of God that step out and be mothers to, pe- to young people who are not their natural biological children, but to step out and teach them and to help them. And maybe if they're, from, if they're away from home, to, to bring them under their wing. So mothers are a huge part of the church, and we are so grateful for you guys. Does every woman here have a rose? Everyone received one, good. It was um, Pastor Donna's desire that every woman would be honored today with a rose and not every mother. And I believe that is because as women, we are mothers. Whether we have our biological kids yet or not, whether we don't have biological kids or we do, we are maternal and we are able to disciple and raise up children in the Lord. So thank you guys for everything you've done. All the men in here and even the women, thank you for supporting the mothers in this church. We are a body of Christ, and we can't have one without the other. We can't have one part without all the rest, so we need to lift each other up. Sometimes it's not easy (laughs) what we do, (laughs) but we can support each other. So we are so blessed to have all of you here as part of our body. I have been given the honor of uh, giving our abundant life teaching today, and I'm really excited about it. Um, My husband, Donald, was talking to a friend, and I just overheard some things, and I was like, thank you, that's it. Like, I needed to create a message, and like, I'm so busy this week, you know, and I was like, that's going to be the message. So, I'm going to start off by reading a couple scriptures, three to be exact. Just bear with me, because then we're going to go back. So the first one, I don't know that I gave them to you, but if you can pull them up, it would be awesome. However, I'm going to go by the Passion Translation, which we do not have online. So um, it might differ from there a little bit. So it'll start with Matthew 13, verses 8 and 9. Matthew 13, verses 8 and 9. Now this is the abundant life teaching. Abundant life. And this is going to be a very abundant message. So Matthew 13, verses 8 and 9, is like the end of the parable of the seed and the sower. We're not going to go through the whole thing, so just to recap, um, the, f- the sower sowed four types of seed, I mean, the same type of seed, but it fell on four different types of ground. The first one fell on the beaten path, and it was eaten up by the birds, so it didn't grow. The second one fell on the rocky grounds, it didn't have roots, so it withered. The third one grew among th- amongst thorns, and so it was choked out. And the fourth one is the only one that grew on good ground. It grew, not only did it grow up, but it fruited. There was a harvest. So the scripture we're going to be reading is up there, but again, I have a different translation, so bear with me. But other seeds fell on good, rich soil that kept producing a good harvest. Some yielded 30, some 60, and some even 100 times as much as he planted. If you are able to understand this, then you need to respond. I love the Passion Translation because it's basically the same thing, but it's in modern terms that we can understand. So if you can understand this, which we're all going to understand this by the end of this message, you need to respond. So this is about the Word of God in the soil of our hearts, but it's an analogy of seed. So let's move on to some other scriptures, and we're going to continue on talking about seeds. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. This generous God who supplies abundant seed for the farmer, which becomes bread for our meals, is even more extravagant toward you. 
first he supplies every need plus more. That's enough right there. That sounds like a pretty good deal to me. He supplies every need plus more. Cool. We out of here. We got what we need. That's amazing. I am so good with that. But it doesn't stop. It keeps going. First he supplies every need plus more. Then he multiplies the seed. So he supplies every need plus more. Then he multiplies the seed as you sow it so that the harvest of your generosity may grow. So this, again, is talking about seed and harvest. Remember, it says he will multiply the seed as you sow it. So first he supplies it, and then he multiplies it. But when does he multiply it? Once it's sown. If I have, like, a a bucket of seed in my kitchen counter, it can't be multiplied. It has to be put into fertile ground first for him to multiply it. The third scripture is Philippians chapter 4, verses 17. And just hold on. I know I haven't made too much of many points yet. I just want to get the scriptures so we have this foundation. Philippians chapter 4, verse 17. I mention this not because I'm requesting a gift, but so that the fruit of your generosity, there it is again, may bring you an abundant reward. Abundant reward. So Jesus, God, God is our source. We are not his source. So why would he ask us to give money? He doesn't need it. He's our source. Any money we have is just from him anyway. So he's not asking for himself. He's asking for us. He say, the reason that I'm asking, the reason I'm requesting for you to give is so that the fruit of your generosity, the fruit of your giving, may bring you an abundant reward. It's not even for us. It's not even for him. It's for us. So skip back to the first scripture where it said that he would, um, that the seed yielded a harvest. It says it yielded 30, 60, and 100 fold. That's what most of the versions say, 100 fold. And so um, at first I thought that meant percentages. Did anyone else think that maybe meant percentage, like 30%, which would mean if I sowed 100 seeds, I would reap a harvest of 30 plants. But that doesn't sound like my God. He's the, ab- he's the God of more than enough. It just said that he will give us an abundant reward so that the fruit of your generosity may bring an abundant reward. So that doesn't actually make any sense. So in the Passion Translation, this guy really, the writer, the author, the translator, really studied Greek and got down to the meaning of this 100-fold. It means 100 times, and not every version says that. Not every version says 30 times or 60 times or 100 times, but it means times. So I did some math. My math was wrong at first. I had to, like, you know, change it a few times. But I finally got, and this is, this is what we should do when we study the word. We should try to understand. We might get it wrong. We might miss it a little bit. But then you realize you have more of the word in you than you think. So wait, I only get 30% return on my investment? That doesn't sound like God, so that must not be right. So you go back. So God tells us to give a tithe of 10%. So if I have 100 seeds, he's telling me to sow 10 seeds into his garden. The minimum that that seed can yield is 30 times. What's 30 times 10? 300. So if I, if I sow 10 seeds into the garden of God, they yield 300, and it's not for him, it's for me. He already told us that. Then now I'm not working on, I, didn't, I gave away 10 seeds. I'm not working on the 90 seeds I have left. I'm working on 390 seeds now. Because I gave 10. What if you give 20? 
What if you go above your tithe and you say, I'm going to give 20 because I just want to be obedient to the Lord and just show him that he is my first priority. I'm going to give 20 seeds or 20%. 20 t- the, we're talking about the minimum yield is 20 times 30 is 600. 690% or seeds I'm now working on in my life. So when you give a tithe, it's not like, I don't know if I can go on 90%. You're not going to be working off 90%. You're going to be work off, working off of a minimum of 390%. Donald was really studying and getting with the Lord, and he just got this revelation on tithing his time. And, you know, tithing isn't just any random, you know, by the end of the week I have a few loose coins, so I'm going to give it. Tithing is your first fruits. It's your best. And so he decided, and he got the conviction What's 10% of my day? That's 2.4 hours. So why not just start my day off with 2.4 hours given totally to the Lord? And to some of us, that sounds a lot. Like, if I were to just say, okay, like, okay, babe, I'm just going to go lock myself in this room for about three hours. Like, how can you do that? How do you have that much time in your day? So we calculated it. 24 minus 2.4 is, I didn't have my calculator for this. I didn't write it down. (laughs) I'm not that quick. My mom is. What is it? 21.6, 21.6, okay? Then you sleep for how many hours? Is eight a good average that we sleep? Four. Oh, Lord. For the average person, okay. 13.6. So if you give the Lord 2.4 hours, and I'm, this is not a law. This is a personal revelation from the Lord. I'm not saying that you have to do that. I'm just trying to show you how we work off of, a, of abundance. We do not work off of lack. So if you give 2.4 hours to the Lord and you sleep an average of eight hours, you still have. hours in your day. And I'm going to let you know that those 13.6 hours are going to be way more productive than the, than the 16 hours you would have had if you didn't give that 2.4 hours to the Lord. The Lord asks us to rest on the Sabbath. Some people say, I don't have time to go to church. I have to work every single day or I won't have enough money. My business will fail. All these different things. I promise you, if you work six days and you give, yeah, Chick-fil-A, for example, y'all, they're obedient to the Lord and they are, like, getting it. They are making a huge splash in the, on the world scene that they are so productive. And their business is doing so well when people said, how can you shut down on Sunday and the church crowds come in? I myself am disappointed like once a month that I can't go to Chick-fil-A on a Sunday. But if you give the Lord what he asks for, You're going to get way more done with the money that you have. You're going to get way more done with the time that you have. You're going to be more focused, and those six days are going to be way more productive than the seven days would have been total if we did not give him what he asks for. Does that make sense? We have an abundant God. He is the source of everything that we need. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And this book that we call the Bible is like the will and testament It's our inheritance. He left everything to us. So just take it. He left it all to us. If we just take it, if we just trust in him, do what he asks, and hey, even go above and beyond because your percentage keeps raising and raising (laughs) the more that you give and the more that you obey him. So generosity brings in a harvest, and it's not the same old harvest. It's ever-growing. It's ever-increasing. So allow God to increase your seed by obeying him and giving him your first fruits. So now I invite you to come and give your tithes and your offerings. And I'm going to pray and bless you guys as you do. 
Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are the word. I thank you that the word was in the beginning. It was with God and it was God. I thank you we're not reading some textbook or self-help book. I thank you that your word is alive and active. And it's just as living and intentional today as it was the day it was written. So, Father, we submit our hearts. We will obey your word, not because you're a tyrant that we're fearful of, but you are a good father that we trust. And if you say to give you 10%, if you say that it's going to be better if we do such and such, if we stay away from such and such, that we will trust you and we will watch miracles happen. We know we will have enough because you are a good, good father. You are a God of more than enough. We trust you with everything that we have. So I ask that you would bless everyone in here. I pray that you would supply their seed, every need, and more, and that you would multiply it as they sow it. And I know you will because your word says so. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. everybody tonight thank you so much Jennifer that was an awesome message I appreciate that can everybody hear me okay awesome let me just get this this thing turned on and set up so welcome to Irwinville's first Mother's Day service we are so excited that we're having this, and no, I'm sorry, Pastor Carl is not preaching tonight, so if you came to hear him, you'll have to come back next week. Next Saturday, he will be back at this pulpit. He is, he's having pulpit anxiety of not being at the pulpit for three weeks, y'all. So, but, we, but he will be back here, and um, you just have to settle for me, Pastor's better half, I'm sorry. But today is, well, tomorrow's Mother's Day, but we are celebrating our Mother's Day uh, tonight. And I just want to uh, take it upon myself to recognize a few people um, for Mother's Day of my own personal, uh, my own personal shout-outs. Mother's Day is a happy day. It is. Um, it can also be... A not so happy day for a lot of people um, in the world as well but what I love about what we're doing here at the Irwinville campus is we're celebrating all women because just like Jennifer said and I thought she was gonna preach my message in the I thought she was gonna preach my message when she was doing the Psalms um, from the platform because there were words in there that is all up in here and, and I was trying to get Dara's attention, like, she's preaching my message. Can you stop her for just a second? <laughs> and I couldn't get her attention. But, um, and just like she said, God has imparted in the woman the nurturing heart of a mother, whether you have children or not, whether your children are with us here on this earth or not. We still make up a body that is unique and created and designed to nurture. And so I wanted to celebrate all women here at the Irwinville campus today. And so I know that there are mothers who are here 
Um, there's grandparents who are here. There's co-moms who are here, um, which is me to you, not you to me, but yeah. Um, so all women, spiritual mothers, uh, stand-in mothers. I have, I, I'm, I'm one of all of uh, that I just mentioned. I'm, I'm a mother. I'm a grandmother. I'm a co-mom. I am um, a, spiritu a spiritual mother to a lot. And also, too, I'm a stand-in mother. I have a niece who, um, Casey's 13, 13 years old now. And when she was three years old, my sister, her mother, passed away. And she has called me her stand-in mom since. And because I was what she knew at the age of three as being her, her, her mother. So however it is um, relevant to you as far as who you are as a woman and what you portray out in life as that mothering role. We celebrate you here at this campus. But Mother's Day, and I did something and I looked it up because I was trying to do like Jennifer and go and look up Greek and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And I thought to myself, well, how did Mother's Day even get started? Because I've never Googled it. Have you Googled it? Well, I Googled it, and while it started off as something that was very sweet, actually it took a turn and a twist, and I was like, ooh, I wish I hadn't Googled that. But so it did start off, and what Mother's Day, what the essence of it, and why um, this young woman back in 1914 wanted to put, mother or 1904, wanted to put it on the calendar was because to um, honor her mom, who had, during the Civil War, had taught young mothers classes or a club on how to be a mom to, her, to their children during those times. And so her mom had sacrificed a lot. So Mother's Day is about how women sacrifice to raising children. Because let's face it, there is a lot of sacrifice that goes on raising children. But... Um, and growing up, oops, I just like, like totally just, I haven't learned how to work this yet, y'all. I'm, I'm going to, you, you'll know why in just a minute. But growing up, um, my mom resembled the very essence of what Mother's Day was even put on the calendar for. Now, my mom, she was no June Cleaver, okay? And I don't know if y'all know, Donald, don't look at me like that, who June Cleaver is. Leave it to Beaver? Come on, am I that lame that I'm the one who loves Leave it to Beaver in this house? But Leave it to Beaver, you know, the mom in the 50s dress, the little 50s nice, cute little dress and heels, and she's doing her housework, and she's vacuuming, and she's cooking, and she's cleaning in her heels in her cute little dress. That was not my mom. My grandmother lived with us. And my grandmother was the homemaker. She was the one who cooked. She was the one who cleaned. My mom was a laborer. My mom was the one that, that went out and physically labored um, for our household. My dad was a riverboat captain all my life. So mom, I, it, it was a bunch of, of women in the household with my one dad, with my dad. And um, so mom, to keep ends to meet, um, while... Uh, while we were growing up, she labored a lot. So my mom, to me, was more like Joan of Arc, not June Cleaver, okay? But my mom isn't able to be here tonight because we have family illness, and uh, she is taking care of 
some people, so, but I did want to honor her because my mom all my life has sacrificed for me and my sister. She sacrificed above and beyond just so we could have our, not even our needs, but our wants, you know. But mom wanted to make sure that we had everything that we needed, that we wanted. She wanted us to have the things of life that she never had growing up because she grew up in a family of seven brothers and sisters. And it was um, not a very good situation um, with all of that. But when you have, when you're sharing one bathroom with seven brothers and sisters, there tends to be a little bit of warring and stuff that happens and goes on. But we were in, we were in every type of extracurricular activity that we could be in. It's why I got into music was my mom and my dad. My dad's the musician. My mom's the pusher. Mom is not the pusher as in like pushing it on me. She's the pusher as in, nope, we paid for this and you are going to practice. You are going to be there. You're going to show up. You're going to do what you're supposed to do. My mom was the supporter. She was the one who supported us um, in everything that we did. Not that my dad didn't. It's just that my dad was always on the river and still is to today. But my mom worked so hard my whole life. She taught me to work hard, and sometimes I go a little bit overboard with that, with working hard. Um, this past week, you know, I mean, I, I, I worked hard the past couple of weeks, and I ended up with what they wanted to call pneumonia, but I'm healed in Jesus' name. And so I think it was just the devil wanting to keep me from what I'm about to do right here and right now. So I honor my mom. The other lady that I would like to honor is my Aunt Anne, who is here in the house with us tonight. And she's always been a role model to me. She's always played the role of mom to me. Like I told you in the opening of everything is that there are some people who have not been able to have children, and my aunt was one of them. And so my aunt has always said that my sister and I took the place of what she was missing in her life until she married my uncle, which happens to be their anniversary today, y'all. So happy anniversary. And when she married my uncle, she did gain a daughter. So she is a co-parent. She is a co-mom. But she is the one who introduced me to Jesus, my aunt right there. My aunt is an amazing teacher of the word. She's an amazing ordained minister. And she will probably see some of her standing right here, speaking and walking and talking as I'm delivering some of the words. She will probably recognize it because that's who I have modeled myself after in the word is my aunt. Because how many of us know that those mentors and those women who've imparted in our lives so much, we will come out to being and talking and walking and saying and preaching and teaching the same ways that they do. So tonight I honor you, amen. And I thank you for bringing me to the place that I needed to be in my life. So the place that I'm in to today. But she's imparted so much into me, which brings me to my other person I wanted to speak out just for a second, and that's Miss Becky. Yes, you. <coughs> Because, Becky, God has put you on a mission. She, he has put you on a mission that only you can fulfill. The things that you impart into Dara's children, the things that you impart into your nieces and nephews, it's the same, the same journey God has had my aunt on. 
the same journey, the things that you put in part, no other person could fulfill. That mission is yours, that journey is yours, and you are raising spiritual children. And for that, I honor you. And I can't leave out my sweet mother-in-law. <laughs> Mom, thank you so much for being the woman of our family of spiritualness, of, of the fire of God. When this woman prays, y'all, oh my goodness, heaven, fire falls when she prays. And if she tells you God says, you better, you better believe God said, because I have not heard her say that God said and not see it happen or see it come to pass, or it may still be waiting to come to pass, but I'm holding on to those promises because I know that when God speaks to her, God is saying and she says. And when she says God says, God says. So thank you for raising the man of God sitting next to you. Thank you because he's blessed us so much. You have blessed us so much. And thank you for being the mom that you are. And we love you. You're welcome. And the other person I wanted to talk about tonight who's not here, I did speak to her on the telephone, which is Pastor Sue. We just celebrated 20 years of her life in ministry, 20 years of giving of herself, and I wanted to just honor her. She has been the mother of the church for, for 20 plus years, and like I told her on the phone today, I thanked her so much for loving me like I have been with her 20 years. And so Pastor Sue was the other person I wanted to, to speak to. Oh, now let me get through all of those pages. But to me, Mother's Day is a day to celebrate the beauty and the creation of the woman. And uh, whether God has given you children through birth or God has given you children through others, we do here celebrate you tonight. So let's take a minute and let's just celebrate all women in this place. Man, I promise you, you're going to get something out of tonight's message. I promise. It, it's coming. It's coming. I do want to introduce, which Jennifer did introduce, my husband, Pastor Carl. Thank you so much for letting me have your podium for one more, for one more uh, Saturday. I started to say Sunday, y'all. But for Saturday. But every time I'm standing up here, it is, I do count it a privilege. And I think those abundant life teachings that he's been having me do was just like trial runs because he wanted to see if I could really put something together to like actually make sense or to, you know, to know if I know the word. Um, so I think that was just trial runs. But I'm going to be transparent with you for just a second. This is only my second delivery of a full sermon from a podium. The very first delivery that I've had was back at Prayer Lake just a few weeks ago. That was my very first time preaching from a podium from a full sermon. So those of you that were there, now you know that that was my first time. <laughs> but I've known since I was a little girl that I was designed for ministry. I've known that I was created on purpose for a purpose. And tonight's title is You Were Created to Fit God's Plan. Can you go ahead, Ethan, and put that picture up for me? <coughs> so here you see two houses. 
They look similar. In, in the shape, I tried to get two of the closest I possibly could. Which one are you? Which house are you? Is your life in shambles because you've chose that to, to walk it out and everything that's in your power to build your life? Like the top picture, falling apart. Or are you the bottom picture because you're flourishing, because you, you're building your life and according to God's blueprints, according to his plan that he has set for you. Tonight I'm going to teach you line by line and precert by precert to maneuver you into the position God has already planned for your life. He knew what you were going to be. He knew who you were going to be in the mother's womb before you were even formed in the mother's womb, the Bible says. God says, my ways are higher than your ways. I have a purpose and a plan for you, and the best of your life is not behind you. It's ahead of you. God has a great future for you. And here's the word of the Lord. The glory of the latter house shall be greater than the glory of the former house that haven't seen anything yet. They haven't seen anything yet. Everything that you have been through, every walk that you have walked, every step that you have taken from, this, from, from past to today has just been a setup. Everything is just a setup from God. Raise your hands to the Lord. We're going to pray for just a second. I just feel that we need to pray. Spirit of the living God, we just ask that you do what only you can do, Lord God. Not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit, Lord. Saturate us with your presence, Lord God. Angels, show up. Let the glory of God fall in this place, Lord. I take authority over anything that is supposed that is trying to break God's spirit, that is trying to, that's trying to step in and trying to um, take apart anything of God, any plan that God, you have no authority, you have no power in this place. You've been defeated. There's not, in, there's not one thing in this place, not one thing in this place that doesn't belong to God, not one person, not one thing that doesn't belong to God. Every person in every seat that is in this place, God has a plan for. And we open up the atmosphere, God. We ask you to come down. We ask you to fill this place, Lord God. We ask for your spirit. We ask, Holy Spirit, come. We want you. Your people are hungry for you, God. We just ask that you just fill this place, Lord God. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Everybody say it with me. I was created, I was created to, fit God's plan. to fit God's plan. He made you on purpose for a purpose. Full of goodness and hope. Full of a great future. He designed you to fulfill all the potential he placed inside of you. He placed that potential inside of you. You may say, Donna, well, how, how is that even possible? How do I even get there? How, what, 
What steps do I take? How do I make this come into fruition? Well, let's go to it. Jeremiah 29, 11. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, For I know the plans and thoughts I have for you, says the Lord, plans of peace and well-being and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God says, I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out for you. Plans to take care of you and not abandon you, to give you a future and a hope. You know that future, that hope, that thing that you have that you don't want to speak to because it's so big and you think that people just probably would think that you've lost your mind, which you probably have. But <laughs> you, you know that thing that you don't speak of, that hope, that future? God says, I planted that desire in you. I'm the one that created and planted that seed on the inside of you to bear fruit. I have everything taken care of. Have you ever lost anything? Have you ever lost something very significant? I'm going to share a story with you real quick. John Allen was, <clears throat> I don't know if all, all of you know, but I do have a 20, fixing to be 24-year-old son and a daughter who's 22 who was going to be here, but she was traveling with my grandson and couldn't make it because of the storms. But um, when my son was three years old and my daughter was an infant, well, she could sit up, so she's probably around toddler's, toddler age. Something my mother imparted in me was weekly shopping trips to Walmart. This is when we did our grocery shopping. Every Friday, we would go grocery shopping at Walmart. Now, my aunt chooses to go every day, practically, to the grocery store to get what she's going to cook. That part she didn't impart in me. Mom, however, it was, it was our big thing. We worked all week long, and then we would go shopping on Friday. Well, I remember I had Kaylin in the buggy sitting up, and another thing that my mom taught me growing up from a little age was that you hold on to that back pocket. You hold on to that back pocket if we're walking somewhere, if we're in a crowd or wherever. This is 19, let's see, John Allen, this is like 1997, 98. <clears throat> but I had him holding on to my back pocket because I was by myself. I had no leash. <laughs> I don't even think they made the leashes at the time unless they, you actually went to the pet department and got those. <laughs> but I had no leash. And I had a baby that I had to put in there, but I also had to have groceries. So John Allen, his place was in my back pocket. So we're going down the shoe, shoe aisle, the shoe department, and we are looking at shoes for him. He needed a pair of shoes. And I remember stooping down, looking at his size, and I 
remember taking a box and saying, John Allen, what do you think about John Allen? There was no John Allen. And so I'm going up and down the aisles, up and down with my buggy, with Kayleen. She's probably getting whiplash in the whole buggy department, in the whole buggy, because I am going up and down the aisles, and I'm, I'm looking for John Allen. We had passed. Now, normally, I probably would have bypassed the toy department and not walked him past the toy department, but I didn't realize that he had made a pit stop. So knowing that the toy department was right by the shoe department, I go and I'm thinking, okay, that's where he is. Well, I'm going up and down the aisle in the toy department, still no John Allen. Well, finally over the intercom, I'm about panicking and frantic, and if he's not in the toy department, I don't know where he is. So finally, I hear over the intercom, well, a little blonde-haired, blue-eyed John Allen's mama, you are lost and you need to come to the front because your son says that you lost him. <laughs> well, what I didn't know is because my son, and still to this day, likes army men, but he had, we had passed the end cap that back then they put the, arm, the little green army men in a bag with just a header on it, and they found him in, under the clothes rack in the women's department sitting there playing with army men and some woman had saw his little feet, his little <laughs> shoes sticking out from up under the clothes department and that's how he was found. But I was the lost one. But still that fear, I had fear that came up in me because I didn't know where my child was. I had lost something valuable. I knew what it felt like to really lose something that was significant. But what if that loss is you? What if you've gotten so preoccupied with life, the busyness of life, that you lost yourself? We were just talking about this, my friend and I, this past week and we were talking about when you know God's plan for you when you know where you're supposed to be when you've positioned yourself in the place that he wants to use you when you've positioned yourself in the place that you want to be in that he wants you to be in but then you busy up your life so much with, with other stuff whether it be a job, your career, whatever, that you're not actually working towards what God wanted you to fulfill in the first place? What if you've gotten too comfortable with just doing church? Coming in, needing a spiritual fix, and then walking out the doors and still doing the same old life. You're not imparting the things that you hear of the word into your life. It's like it's going in one ear and out the other. There's no identity in that. There's no, that you've lost yourself. But what if you go through life and you've lost the life that God has actually created for you and you never actually, you never actually impart into it? 
think that's one of the greatest loss of all. Just like when God said to Adam, where are you? Where are you to the position, to the place that I planted you? Are you in position? Are you in location to live out the life that God has actually designed and created for you? So let's lay the foundation a little bit. Turn to Luke 15, 8. What woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? A piece of silver is worth a day's wage. And if you've lost that piece of silver, then you've lost a lot. And the Bible says, what person if she lose? Now this word lose is crucial to the understanding of how you're going to fit in the plan of God. This word lose means ruined, completely destroyed. In other words, what God is saying is what person possessing the perfect order of God because the number 10 says she has 10 coins. 10 is the perfect order of God. So what person possessing the perfect order of God, a full and completely life by his creation, if they have a part of their life that's completely destroyed? Because that's life, right? You can have one really good thing working for you and, and one really thing not working for you. You could have your career is on target, your career could be soaring, and your family can be falling apart. Your family can be all together and working well together, but then you have no way of, of really having the means to feed them. But God came to give you life and to give it more abundantly. He created a life so that everything is in perfect order, his order. But you have to be fitting in his plan to be in that order. Everything functionally, functioning fully. And the parable says, what person, if a part of their life is ruined? If a part of your life is ruined? destroyed what person does not get a candle and light it you know what that means that means you need some revelation renovation because revelation is about restoring everything that has been broken and dysfunctional in your life when the doctor said to me Donna you're not going to have the fullness of life because you've got multiple sclerosis you're probably going to lose your sight, and you're probably going to lose the use of your legs. When the doctor says, Donna, you need to have a kidney removed. One of them is not functioning. Your right one is not functioning. You've got to have that kidney removed. The doctor says, Donna, you can't go preach Saturday because of the fact that you've got pneumonia, and you need to stay home and in the bed. Revelation showed me that I am healed by the blood of Jesus Christ. When society says that you don't have a future because you are uh, the product of your past, Revelation says, behold, all things are passed away and all things are made new. 
in Christ. Revelation shows that forgetting that what is behind me and pressing toward the mark of the higher call, that God had a better tomorrow than anything that my yesterday was. My history does not determine my destiny. So it only shows me that this was a setup. That everything that we've walked through is a setup, getting you in position to be in the plan that God has drawn out for you for your life. So she comes in and she lights the lamp and she sweeps because you want you got to clear the clutter. You have to clear the chaos. She begins to seek. Now, seek literally means to worship. To search for something that is hidden. That's what we do in worship. We're asking God. When we're worshiping, we're asking, God, show me me. Show me what I need to see. Show me the things that are hidden in my life that I need to purge. Or show me the things Bring darkness into light so I can see, so I can make better judgment about what to do, my next step, my next part, my next everything. So seeking is a form of worship because we always see worship being in church, lifting our hands and and praising the Lord. And yes, that is, but you're going to find that worship's a whole lot more than that. Worship is the words that we speak. It's, the, it's what we think. It's how we live. It's the very essence of who you are. The life that denotes Christ flowing through me and out of me. And when I begin to carefully apply, which is diligently, Seeking and finding diligently, earnestly, continuously, finding everything that God has set up for us to find that hidden thing. Your life begins to transform. So it says in the parable, that she lost something. And then she seeks. She diligently seeks. Well, first, she clings. So she lost. She clings. She clears the clutter. She clears the chaos. She seeks for it. And then the Bible says she gets that which she lost. God has created a life by his design, by his plan for you. How do we get it? How do we get it? We've lost it. 
because you know that before we come to Christ, our life, our life is lost, right? We lost it. Then we've got to clean it up. Then we've got to seek for what it is that he has for us. Not by what our desires are, not by what we think that we want in life, because promise you, my life is not what I thought I wanted whenever I was 18 years old and graduating high school. What I went to college for was to be a band director of all things. <laughs> of all things. And then I've been so many more things. Carl says, I can't believe. He says, your resume is like 20 pages long. Not because I swapped jobs so many times, but because I kept going back to school and I kept getting all this stuff underneath me. I mean, I used to do autopsies, y'all. I mean, forensic science. And now I'm a pastor's wife of a church. <laughs> but it's not by my plans. It's not by what I think that I want in life. I am learning to follow the path that God has me on. I'm learning to follow the blueprints that God up in his heavenly drawing room has set out for me. A life that is full of his goodness and his glory. But it doesn't mean that we won't go through storms. It doesn't mean that, we'll, that everything is going to be perfect and life is going to be rosy and, and set up for us and we'll never be in pain and we'll never hurt. And we'll, how will you know that God is relevant in your life? How will you know if he is working in your life if you never have a reason to need him? We're going to have things that we're going to walk through. We're going to have times and trials. It's just like Paul. Paul says three times he prayed for God to remove this thorn from my flesh. Three times he said, God, take it away. Take it away. Take it away. And God says, no, because I want you to see my perception in this that thorn that which you think is hurting you is not hurting you it's actually working for your good so again God is working everything for his good last Sunday I spoke to a woman who was seeing her demise because of something that was found within her body I had to show her that God is working for her by allowing this hidden thing to become known because now she can, can connect the dots and be healed. It's not just a tumor, but it's everything where her body has been failing her. Diabetes, blood clots, healing of the mind, depression. Her, perce her perception has to change in order for healing to take place. I had to get it through to her that this is not a death sentence, that this is just the beginning of the rest of her life. Because why? Because my God says so. That's why your perception has to change. When you have a Judas in your life, go ahead. Let him kiss you on the cheek. Because that kiss of betrayal, you know what that's doing? That's setting you up to position you in the place that God has planned for you. 
And then you're going to end up calling Judas your friend and Peter your enemy. And people are going, again, say you've done lost your mind. Yeah, I know. I've got a Christ-like mind, okay? My mind is the mind of Christ because I have a life that has been created and designed by my God. Everything is working for me. It's not working against me. So if the answers are obtaining and seeking and getting the part of my life that's been destroyed and ruined by steady, careful application and revelation and renovation, which is worship, searching for something that is not hidden, then what is the correlation of the perfect order of God or his design for my life? Because maybe you're looking at a part of your life that is all messed up. Maybe you're coming to church and you're like, praising the Lord. But then you're going home and you're facing hell. Maybe you come here and you get built up and encouraged and then you're walking out those doors straight into a lion's den and to be devoured. You've been created to fit God's plan. So your, your life, your house, can you put that picture back up for me? So your house, your life, because you know, I mean, everything's okay in our life, right? We're so used to being in the church where we come and we wear that I'm fine mask because we don't want people to see what's on the inside of us. But let me tell you something. Thank God that there was somebody that I showed my mess to. Thank God that there was somebody that I said, I need help. Thank God that God sent me somebody to help me clear up the mess in my life. Because God's going to send you the people to help you renovate that top picture right there, to make it look like that bottom picture right there. Do you know how they do that? By the word of God. Because all the help that you need is in the word of God. Everything that you seek, everything that you need for your life is in the word of God. And if you're in the word of God daily, seeking him, seeking those things that needs to become life in you. Every rotten board, every busted window, every blown away shingle, every not growing garden, it's going to start to grow and flourish. God's going to renovate you. When you get planted in the position that he has for you, but you have to be in position in order for it to work for you. Because God's going to bring order to your life. What you couldn't see is going to be revealed to you when you light that candle. He purposely designed and created the life for you 
to fit in his plan. So you're thinking maybe like my life is such a mess. Like how how can I how can I even maybe I've you've taken two steps forward and you've taken ten steps back in life. And you're thinking, I need that house, but I can't purchase that house because I have bad credit. I have I'm about to file bankruptcy. There's no way it's going to happen. Is there anything too big for your God to take care of? Carl and I have loads of testimony. I think probably both of us came out of bankruptcy. And we have bought two homes since we've been married. God can do it for you. If he can do it for us, he can do it for any one of you. Any one of you. God has all the good things. The life that he's created for you. Well, I can't be in ministry. I'm too old. I'm 43. Carl's 48. And we just started. Well, probably not really just started, but as far as pastors, we just started. Not too old. You're thinking I have a lot of baggage. I have a lot of a lot of things in my past. People don't believe in me. People don't trust me. You know what? You're the one that God wants to use because He wants to clean you up and put you at the podium or put you in front of people to minister because people will then look at you and say, Only God could have done that. Only God could have been the one to make that miracle happen. So, yeah, you, you, there's never too much for our God. Never too much. Because you know why? He uses the foolish to confound the wise. (laughs) He uses the messed up, the weak, to confound the strong and the mighty. I don't know what you've gone through in life, but I'm here to tell you that God has a plan for you. There is a plan in the heavenly places that God has designed for you and only you, and only you can fulfill that mission, and only you can walk that walk, and only you can be in that journey that God has set for you. Nobody can walk your walk for you. Nobody can do it for you. Nobody can, can, can take those steps for you. Yes, we have people in our life that can guide us in the right direction. We have mentors. We have friends who, who we go and we conversate with and say, what is it that we need? What is it that I need to do? What steps do you think that I need to do? I want to make sure I'm on the right path. Um, but we have God, who also is the one that we need to go to and speak to and talk to in our prayer life and seek in the word to see what steps, what next steps that we're supposed to take in our life because it's his plan for us. My husband doesn't know what God's plan, well, God might speak to him and tell him exactly, Donna needs to do this, and he probably does tell me, but still, my plan is my plan. My friends doesn't know what God has set up and designed for me, but you know what? Another good thing, 
is to have the friends who listens to God, have the friends who hear from God, have the friends who seek God, have the friends who, who spend time with God. Because even though they may not know your plan that God has set for you, but they can help you, help guide you, help mentor you. One last point that I want to bring out before I close is that you may think that you're so messed up and you can't be used by God, but God starts everything with chaos, not cosmos. In other words, God doesn't start with order. He brings order. He starts with disorder. Look at Genesis 1, verse 1 to 2. Genesis 1, 1, 2, the very first verses in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering. The earth was without form. There was ruin, emptiness, void, waste, confusion, wilderness, desert. You know what? When God sees a desolate, desert, wilderness, barrenness, worthlessness, emptiness, what did the Bible just say? God hovers. That means he moves. God's moving in it. In your weakness, he is made strong. When you learn to lean on the Lord and realize that I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. When you start putting the mind of Christ on, when you don't, you don't have any limitations. When you start thinking like God thinks, there's no lid on your potential. When you start seeing what God sees, then you can step out of nothing into nothing, and you can create everything. When you start seeing like God sees, there's no fear because fear doesn't exist. What's fear? Fear is false evidence appearing real, so you don't have to worry about it, right? Because why? Because we're full of faith. Even the small mustard seed. We're full of faith. Faith is evidence of things hoped for and not seen. My job is not to develop the life that God has, but to discover it, to seek it, to find it. And to implement the decisions of the things that was already planned out for us. That's what our job is. That, that's how, that's the steps of getting set up to start walking the path that God has for you to implement the design of your life is to seek and to find. God says his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. 
and we will never be able to comprehend who God is. So what does that mean? We graduate from faith into trust. We have to trust him. We have to trust who God is in our life. We have to trust that his word and what he says for our life will come to pass because he says so. God has a life created specifically for you, for each one of you sitting in the seat. Everybody stand to your feet. You know, I didn't go into it, but God is a God of details. When he, when he told Moses how to set up the temple, he was very detailed about it. Thank you, Timmy. When he told Noah how to build the ark, he was very detailed about it. Very detailed, down to the type of wood to use, down to how many stories the ark needs to be. Did you ever wonder how come there was only one door? One door. One way in and one way out. Because that was the coming of Jesus. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the only door to God. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, Go ahead and open up the altar. If, for, if you don't know Jesus as your door, if you haven't asked him to enter into your life and become the Lord of your life, just raise your hand. forward and ten steps back away from God and you want to rededicate your life tonight that tonight is the night that you are going to set up your life to start walking the journey and the path that God has you on the plan that he has created for you and come up here right now we're going to pray Father, we just come to you tonight, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We worship you. We praise you, Lord God. 
And I thank you that every person in this place, Lord God, is seeking and finding and learning about the design that you have set up for their life, Lord God. That they're walking on the path that you want them to walk on, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God, that everybody in in this place, Lord God, is healed, is touched, is set free, is restored, renovated, rejuvenated, Lord God. And I just thank you, Lord God, for what this weekend resembles, Lord God, that you have given every woman in this place a nurturing and loving, mothering spirit, Lord God, heart, Lord God, your heart. I thank you for every person in this place. Lord God, there's someone here who does not know the plan, who's confused, who keeps getting knocked down, dragged out. keep trying to teeter back onto the path and the journey that you have them on, Lord God. I just ask you to touch that person right now, Lord God. Reveal yourself to them, Lord God, so they know that it is you, Lord. I just encourage everyone in this place to seek all things that God has for you. I just ask, Lord God, that you go with everybody this week, that you protect, Lord God, that you bless, Lord God. And we're going to go ahead and we're going to bless the food next door, sanctified to the nourishments of our bodies, Jesus, as we're about to receive.